Hey guys, welcome to That Florida Feeling. How are y'all this week? Hope you guys are doing good. It's good here in Florida, just really warm. But I kind of feel like everybody can relate to that since it's feeling definitely like summer these days. Thank you to everybody who has liked, followed, subscribed, or interacted with any of the social media pages, especially the polls and questions. I'm glad we all agree that there are dangerous things living in Florida. Except for Mallory, who still swears by dolphins. All right. (laughs) Uh, Five-star reviews are always appreciated. It really helps to get the podcast out there uh, to more people. If you have a second to do one, I'd really appreciate it, you guys. Thank you to everybody who was awesome and supportive of the last episode. Alex and Ambrose were amazing guests, and I wish them luck as they prepare for college this year. I will miss them dearly. They are good friends. To the person who said they will no longer listen because of the last episode, you will not be missed, and I wish you nothing but happy thoughts in your golden little bubble for the rest of your life. So today we're going to talk about something we've talked about in the past, but it's kind of like an ongoing thing in Florida. But this time we're going to be sort of more specific. We're going to talk about 2004. And you're like, why are we talking about 2004? 2004 doesn't really stick out to many people, right? But it did in Florida. In fact, it stuck out so much that 2004 is the year that we retired four names for hurricanes because the hurricane season of 2004 was absolutely a brutal one. The Sunshine State went from that nickname to the Plywood State because that year, four hurricanes and a tropical storm hit Florida. 2004 was actually one of the most costly hurricane seasons in the state as the state saw five landfall impacts in just a matter of six weeks. And the storms weren't weak either. Aside from the tropical storm, three of the storms were classified as major hurricanes with a rating of Cat 3 or higher. The season re- wrecked, excuse me, the season wreaked nearly four, $40 billion in collective damage and led to nearly 100 deaths in just Florida alone. Now remember, I'm only talking about Florida, so these hurricanes passed through the Gulf, and I know one of the hurricanes just decimated Haiti, and then proceeded to hit Florida. And that year, Florida just couldn't catch a break, and the landfalls literally came back to back to back. Reconstruction and cleanup were halted constantly, and contributing power outages, flooding, wind damage, evacuations, and impassable roadways did not add to the hurricane season. The months of September, or excuse me, August and September sure made 2004 memorable in Florida. The conditions in the Atlantic were just right for that season to just wreak havoc on the state. The Atlantic was very active that year. But only five storms actually made landfall in Florida. In the month of August, there was eight storms out in the Atlantic. Mind you, that's only a 31-day period, and there were eight storms. That's insane. That's why 2004 is a year that most Floridians will never forget. The first storm that wreaked havoc on the state was Tropical Storm Bonnie. And Bonnie was actually only the second storm of the 2004 Atlantic season, and it developed in August. It developed out of a, actually it developed in July, sorry. It developed out of a tropical wave from the Lesser Antilles. It formed on August 3rd and seemed to dissipate after passing near the Yucatan Peninsula. The storm, however, picked back up and continued to churn through the Gulf and turn towards Florida. The storm actually made landfall on August 12th, just south of Apalachicola, with the winds barely marking it as a tropical storm. And while it didn't have a huge impact on Florida, only bringing heavy rains, with the highest being 4.1 inches falling in pace and winds peaking at 42 miles per hour, it sure did set a precedence for the rest of the year. 
The storm surge was only around four feet, and it did cause some beach erosion, and it caused enough to upset some people's plans. It did cause evacuation of the residents in Taylor County, and the most it did was really cause a tornado in Jacksonville as it moved off the state. Now, Bonnie wasn't bad, but it wasn't just that Bonnie was there. It was that Bonnie happened, and then right behind her was so much worse. Hurricane Charlie moved over the dry Tortugas just 22 hours after Bonnie made landfall in Florida. These two storms made history as this was the first time that two storms had hit Florida within a day. The timing made it hard to tell which storm damaged what, but it still led President George W. Bush to declare a state of Florida a federal disaster area on August 13th. So Hurricane Charlie was the next system to set its sights on Florida, hitting less than a day after Bonnie had already wreaked some havoc on the state. And Charlie was the first of the four hurricanes that actually hit the state in 2004. Now, Charlie formed in the Caribbean and crossed Cuba. And when it hit Cuba, it was already a Cat 3. And then the same day, it crossed the dry Tortugas with winds nearing 150 miles per hour. Hurricane Charlie actually caused damage from the Keys all the way to the state. As the storm passed over the Keys, even though the winds were only gusting at 60 miles an hour, it did cause wind damage and power outages. But the worst of the storm from that actually hit the dry Tortugas. It produced a six-foot storm surge near Fort Jefferson, which actually extensively damaged the, fort, or the, the park around the fort, mainly from flooding. Now, the hurricane continued out and passed over Captiva Island, which caught people completely off guard because it was expected to hit higher towards Tampa. But when it hit this part of Florida, it was with peak winds of 150 miles per hour. So this storm is really packing a punch. Um, the Category 4 storm actually produced up to 6.5 feet of storm surge on Captiva Island, which pretty much inundated the whole island. Um, the storm surge, rapid intensification before hitting land, and the pressure of the storm caused a just over a quarter of a mile inlet to be cut into North Captiva Island, which is now known as Charlie's Cut. You can still see it to this day. And winds and storm surge caused major erosion on various locations throughout the beaches that it hit in the islands. Homes and recreational damages on Captiva Island were, damage, were damaged, some being complete losses. The storm also severely damaged homes and downed many trees on Gasparilla Island. Now, the hurricane continued to move over the state with Arcadia, which is actually in DeSoto County. And Arcadia is actually kind of inland. Actually, it's pretty inland. And it saw extreme damage, uh, with 95% of the buildings uh, in their downtown area seeing some kind of damage. And the only shelter in town had its roof ripped off, leaving 3,500 evacuees completely unprotected from the storm. Charlie pulled no punches, or pulled no exceptions. Took the state by complete and utter surprise, since it did hit so low, and it damaged a lot more of the counties that were not expecting to get hit so hard. Hardy County actually saw property damage in an estimated $750 million with six injuries in the county. The storm, of course, caused blackouts through the entire county, with 1,400 homes being absolutely destroyed and 3,600 damaged. Sebring also saw extensive damage as a radio tower was toppled and wind damage hit through Highlands County. Polk County also saw lots of wind damage and actual flooding from its lakes, because if you've ever been to Polk County, it's basically all lakes. There's a reason there's a name called Lakeland over there, or Lake Alfred, or Lake Wells. Everything is named after a lake. <laughs> and actually, the flooding from one of the lakes flooded onto State Route 60 and actually swallowed an, an entire car. Lake Wells also saw 2,300 buildings damaged, and actually seven deaths were reported. And if you know anything about Florida, you know Lake Wells is in the center of the state. It is completely inland. So for it to be that bad in that area it tells you how much 
how, how strong and how much the winds were for Charlie. And of course, let's not forget that Hurricane Charlie obviously hit on um, the western side. So the complete western side basically got destroyed. Hurricane Charlie caused damage in Sarasota, Charlotte, Lee, and Collier counties with damage coming from winds and storm surge. The storm surge particularly hit hard in Lee County, where they actually had an eight-foot storm surge. The counties that were exposed to the eyewall saw most of the damage due to the fact that Charlie was actually a small hurricane, but it was so intense because of the rapid intensification just off the land. And there was only about a 10-mile band considered that was centered on the track, extending seven and a half miles on each side. So you're talking all the way together a 25-mile wide complete about, yeah, about 20, 26, say about 30 at most, track on this band. And that went right over Charlotte County and basically decimated Charlotte County. 80% of the buildings in the entire county were just destroyed. Now, mainland Florida still didn't fare well from Charlie, especially if we talked about Lake Wales. Um, Naples, which most people are like, Naples is not on mainland. Naples is on mainland. Charlie hit the Outer Barrier Islands, so... Captiva Islands, Sanibel, Gasparilla, those are the outer islands. Naples is considered mainland because you don't have to go over a bridge to get to the beach. And mainland part of Florida in the south did not fare much better. Naples actually got a peak storm surge of 10 to 13 feet on Vanderbilt Beach. And the storm, however, did not produce torrential rainfall in any place. The only, the highest rainfall it produced anywhere was about 10 inches. But it was more of the fact that the winds wreaked havoc on the state. The Punta Gorda Airport measured winds at 111 miles per hour before the instrument was completely destroyed, as well as most of the airplanes in the airport and the homes in the area. Southwest Florida saw $14.6 billion in property damage, with towns like Punta Gorda and Port Charlotte being absolutely leveled by this hurricane. And mind you, this is only really the first hurricane of the season. The storm also caused damage in other parts of the state. A trailer park was obliterated in Ormond Beach, which for those of you who don't know geography in Florida, Punta Gorda is on the west side in South Florida. Ormond Beach is on the east side towards the center part of the state. So that's a wide track. The storm also produced severe thunderstorms and tornadoes. Uh, winds were sustained about 80 miles an hour near Okeechobee and winds at Orlando International gusting to 105. The storm actually caused massive power outages. Two million people in Florida lost power, and some did not have it restored for weeks. And that's really the worst part of hurricanes. Once the storm comes and goes and the cleanup happens, you're just stuck waiting for some things. Like, you're stuck waiting for gas to get through from the roads. You're stuck waiting on power to be restored. You're, stu you're stuck waiting on everything, and that's really the worst part. That's actually also probably the most frustrating part. Osceola County had damage to all 59 of its schools, which pushed back school for that year. Um, the damage to the buildings was so bad that a lot of them were considered just complete losses. But what was worse is the agricultural losses were just devastating. The citrus crop lost over $200 million that in just from Charlie alone. And it actually made the price of grapefruit jump up 50%. Now, like I told you, Charlie was really only the first storm of the season. And, of course, many people hoped it was the only storm of the season, but it wasn't. Hurricane Francis was the next hurricane to hit the state, and it only took three weeks 
for Hurricane Francis to hit Florida after Charlie. Hurricane Francis hit Florida on September 4th, which is Labor Day weekend, as a Category 2 with winds hitting 105 miles per hour. The storm actually hit between Fort Pierce and West Palm Beach. The storm was actually so large that the eye didn't even make landfall the first day. So the bands came on September 4th. The eye did not even hit land until September 5th. And it actually hit near Hutchinson Island. The storm moved over the state and entered back into the Gulf of Mexico near Tampa as a now tropical storm. But Francis wasn't done. No, no. It went out into the Gulf and slammed right back into St. Mark's, Florida in the panhandle, making sure that all of Florida felt the effects of Francis. And so the storm initially hit on the eastern coast of Florida. But when it hit, only a few structures were actually damaged from the initial landfall. It was more of the wind damage to the citrus groves in the area from Melbourne and West Palm Beach that felt the total loss from the effects of this storm. Now, that's not to say the storm didn't have other damaging effects. The storm actually brought over 13 inches of rain to area, causing, of course, flooding and even a sinkhole on I-95 in Palm Beach County, which made it completely impassable to partial traffic. The storm also caused heavy damage to the vehicle assembly building at the Kennedy Space Center. So the Kennedy Space Center is north towards Coco, and it actually took off about 820 paneling pieces to be ripped from the building and potentially damaged parts of the spaceship. Now, the worst part of Francis was that, or the, the Francis could have been worse than it was. Since the storm did hit on Labor Day weekend, um, the economy obviously took a hit. But a lot of people had already seen the devastation of Charlie, so a lot of people actually canceled their plans since this hurricane could hit anywhere on the eastern coast of Florida. And after seeing how destructive Charlie was just mere three weeks before, a lot of people decided Florida probably wasn't the place to spend their Labor Day, which actually probably saved a lot of people's lives. There were 42 total deaths attributed to Francis, and the storm also damaged many of the space and military facilities upon, along the eastern coast of Florida. It wasn't that Francis was an extremely devastating hurricane. It was just that it was so close to when Charlie was that there was no time to clean up. There was no time to fix things. There was no time to dry out from the storm before it. And so, you know, a Cat 2, I'll be honest, a Cat 2 is a bad thunderstorm. Strong winds, heavy rains. You know, you just stay inside. You don't drive anywhere. But it's just merely because of its timing that it made it so much worse. But 2004 hurricane season wasn't done yet. The next storm to hit Florida was Ivan. And Ivan formed in the Gulf and it moved through the Gulf, or it formed actually outside of the Gulf, it moved through the Gulf in September. And the storm was a large one. It actually hit as a Category 3. Now, fun fact, Ivan did not make landfall in uh, Florida. It actually made landfall in Alabama. But it made landfall in Alabama, basically at the Florida line. And the damage was heavy. The damage was actually more heavy through Pensacola, Gulf Breeze, Navarre Beaches, and down the Panhandle. Now, Fort Walton Beach, a lot of Escambia and Santa Rosa counties saw heavy damage since they were on the eastern side of the storm. And for those of you asking, usually the eastern side of the storm is the worst part. I have no idea why, but that's just always how it works. Now, the area west of Pensacola actually took the brunt of the storm, and I'm talking Warrington, NAS Pensacola, Perdido Key, and Interrarity Key, or Interrarity Point, actually took the most damage. Um, a lot of the area was actually heavily destroyed. 
Some roads in Perdidoqui did not even reopen until almost a year later, uh, in late 2005. The storm also caused so much damage that by 2007, some roads around Pensacola Beach did not reopen. I think the worst damage from Ivan was that the Interstate 10 Escambia Bay Bridge was heavily damaged in Pensacola and actually partially collapsed into the bay. The causeway that carried U.S. Highway 90 was also heavily damaged, and most of Perdido Key was leveled from the storm. And if you've ever been to Perdido Key, there's not a ton there. So it's really more surprising that what was there was completely leveled. Now, it's not so much that Hurricane Ivan was a bad storm, because it really was a bad storm, but it was what hurricane what came with Hurricane Ivan. Hurricane Ivan also caused a three-day tornado outbreak. Yes, that's right, a tornado outbreak. The outbreak actually began on September 15th, early in the afternoon, as the thunderstorms began to move on to shore from this system. And a tornado was actually confirmed in Panama City as it moved through the city and damaged many businesses. There was also a tornado that touched down that same day in Bay County, killing one person. And of course, tornadoes continued to break out through the evening and across the panhandle and actually continued for two more days. Calhoun County had an F2 tornado, tossed mobile homes around and killing at least two to four people. And what's worse is while these tornadoes are going on, Hurricane Ivan's eye wall still hadn't hit the state, and tornadoes were just absolutely breaking out left and right from the storm. The three-day tornado outbreak event actually spawned 26 tornadoes ahead of the storm, and Ivan moved over the U.S. and then back out to the Atlantic, but it wasn't done yet. It circled back around and slammed into Broward County on the 21st as a tropical depression. I don't know what Ivan's problem was with Florida, but he wanted to make sure, just like Francis, that everybody had felt the effects. I think that Ivan was was more worse literally because of the tornadoes. Um, it more spread out the damage. Most hurricanes you see, they track a, cro- a path across the state, and most of the state gets it. But this, tor- this storm literally hit in the panhandle and then just spread out from these tornadoes. Of course, it didn't help that it slammed back into Broward County as a tropical depression. But I really, because I, when we lived in the Panhandle, you could still see stuff from Ivan. Um, there were still boats sunk in the sound, in the intercoastal sound. Um, no, with the intercoastal, but in the sound between Navarre and Navarre Beach from Hurricane Ivan. The, and, and I'm talking like six years later. There were boats still on their side that people just had never recovered from this hurricane. Uh, You could walk down the Gulf Island seashore and still find parts of houses. Uh, We found an entire staircase one night walking on the beach that was just from the hurricane that there it was. Nobody was going to remove it. The sand dunes were messed up on both sides. It had eroded a lot of stuff. So that area did take a really hard hit from this hurricane, even if it wasn't a direct hit. But it really did just kind of spread out down the panhandle. I'll be honest, though. I was just amazed that people left their boats just half sunk (laughs) while we were waiting there. Huh? Nine years? after? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was like, it was, yeah. No, I'm saying it was like nine years, yeah, after the thing. It was just, it's amazing that people waited so long it was nine years right not seven but people waited so long and just left their stuff 
I don't know if I feel worse for the marine life that had to deal with it or... I mean, hurricanes can be devastating. I get how some people just want to give up and move on. I guess I get that. All right, back to 2004. <laughs> Ivan wasn't the last storm for the season, though. Hurricane Jeannie would be the last storm to hit Florida on the 2004 hurricane season that had absolutely already devastated the state. And the storm hit as a Category 3 on the eastern side of the state. What's worse about Hurricane Jeannie is it took almost the same path as Francis. The storm hit on September 26th in St. Lucie County, and the storm moved across northwest Florida in exactly the same path as Francis until about Pasco County where it swung north and devastated the already damaged part of Florida that just t- dealt with Ivan. Now, the problem with Jeannie was is that Florida rushed preparations because Jeannie looked as if it was just going to pass offshore until the 23rd. So three days before the storm is going to hit, we didn't know if it was going to hit, where it was going to hit, when it was going to hit. And that's actually the problem with a lot of hurricanes. I remember Irma. Irma's not going to hit Florida. Irma's going to hit Miami. Irma's going to hit, you know, Cocoa Beach. Irma's going to hit the Keys. Irma's going to swing wide and hit Texas. Irma's going to hit the Panhandle. And then Irma hit Naples. So it doesn't surprise me that that it took forever for them to really figure out that this was going to be a direct hit from the storm. Of course, when they did find out, they immediately drained the canals and voluntary evacuations were advised. The only problem is, is that most of Florida is still inundated with floodwaters, no power, no roads. Some roads were still impassable. And what's worse is Florida Power and Light even warned that people could be out for an extended amount of time due to the storm because they still hadn't even fixed the roads and the lights and the infrastructure that was damaged from the first hurricanes. The Palm Beach Zoo, though, did prepare for the storm by putting small animals and birds into restrooms and restaurants in the zoo to keep them safe. And when the evacuations began, for once, people actually could evacuate to the Keys. Normally, that's the worst place you can go in a hurricane, but it actually seemed to be the only part of the state that would not take a direct hit from that storm. So, people went to the Keys. I don't know why they went to the Keys, because the Keys got devastated from a couple hurricanes before in the same, what, month earlier, but I guess if you have to evacuate, sometimes you just don't get to choose. Now, the storm did finally slam into Florida, and it hit near Stewart. Again, almost the same spot where Francis had come ashore only three weeks earlier. And the storm was the first time in recorded history where a hurricane made landfall in the exact place a previous storm had hit in the same season. So 2004 was just full of new records for Florida. And the storm produced tornadoes in Brevard County that took out a mobile home community and damaged several other buildings. High winds were reported as far north as Melbourne, and winds gusting over 115 miles an hour caused extensive damage. The storm did produce major rainfall with six to eight inches falling quickly that flooded the Palm Bay area. And one death was attributed to flooding when a man drove his car into a flooded ditch. Okay, side note, PSA. If the road is flooded, do not drive into it. Your car is just a car. It is not worth your life. If you cannot see, do not drive into it. Turn around. Abandon that car. Walk away. Do not lose your life. Because you think you can make it. Floodwaters rise fast and they move quickly, guys. Just be careful. All right, back to back to Jeannie. Um, Lake County had high winds and severe damage with over 2,800 homes damaged and 111 destroyed. Lake County also had lots of damage to its citrus and nursery in- industry, which pretty much devastated its agriculture. Orange County also saw high winds throughout the county. 
Osceola County actually reported hurricane force winds and widespread home damage to the homes. That was also a first for that one. The county also got over 11 inches of rain, which actually led to flash flooding along US 192 near St. Cloud, which is kind of unheard of in that area. Indian River County was actually severely affected because the eyewall passed through it, and it even spawned an F1 tornado that hit Vero Beach, which actually led to a lot of damage. Vero Beach also saw 11 inches of rain, and that caused a flooding in that area. Having lived in that area, you guys, I'm going to tell you, it rains, it floods. Doesn't matter how much rain, it floods. So for this to get eight inches of rain, that's a bad day. Uh, they actually saw hurricane force winds in Vero and Sebastian, and it led to damage of homes and trees. St. Lucie County did experience high tides that were 10 feet above normal, which actually led to damage in Fort Pierce. The boats in the inlet at Fort Pierce were heavily damaged, as well as the marina. The winds hit 128 miles near Fort Pierce, which caused major damage in that part of the county, especially to its downtown area. Now, Martin County had damage, but it fared even better, even though the storm made landfall there. They did deal with high tides, which were eight feet higher than normal, and high winds were reported in Jensen Beach. But somehow, the, Kamet, the, Kami, the county did not receive as much damage as the counties north of it. Again, the east side of the thing. Um... Of course, counties to the south of the storm still felt the effects. Miami-Dade had wind damage and powder, power outages. Palm Beach County had storm surges and power outages. And Monroe County actually had minor flooding from high tides. Now, Janine brought damage to an already damaged Florida. So it really only added and compounded to what Charlie, Francis, Ivan, and Bonnie had already done to an already damaged state. But... Jeannie was also the end of the hurricane season for Florida. Yes, there were still a couple months to go, but that was the last storm to hit Florida. And Floridians do still talk about this season because of how bad, how chaotic, how hectic it was to live in the Sunshine State, now known as the Plywood State. And I know that certain parts of the state still remember the effects of that hurricane season. Like I said, driving through the Panhandle and friends telling us how it was before 2004, and how it looked after seeing the flooded boats and the random staircases on the beach. And it really makes you grateful that we have not had another hurricane season quite as bad as that. In honesty, I really hope we don't have a hurricane season ever again like 2004. Now, it's been a quiet hurricane season so far and I'm for one thankful for that. And I really hope that it continues to be a quiet season. Janine... Jeannie, I don't know why I want to call it Janine, Jeannie, Charlie, Ivan, and Francis have all been retired after the 2004 season, which doesn't surprise me. Uh, Ivan is now the fifth, was the fifth costliest hurricane in the U.S., followed closely by Charlie. So 2004 just hit all kinds of uh, records, none that anybody ever wanted to hit again. So if anything, 2004 hurricane season has taught us to be prepared because we don't know how many storms are going to hit the state and we don't know when. So I know, I know, you people are probably going, okay, she says, she says to do this a lot, but I mean it. I can't imagine living through the 2004 hurricane season. I probably would just want to give up and move, and I do know a lot of people did leave Florida after that season because it probably did feel like there was no end in sight. So I really hope that we never have a 2004 season ever again. I hope you guys enjoyed learning about more of Florida's history about hurricanes. Of course, there's more. I still haven't touched on Andrew, 
Michael or Matthew. Those are coming. I hope you guys stay safe, drink water, wear sunscreen, but you've still got to watch out for Florida Man, especially if you're in Florida on vacation. Dude, Florida Man is out there, and he's waiting. And this week's Florida Man comes to us from none other than Largo, Florida. A Florida man is accused of throwing his glass eye to assault a nurse and a doctor. That's right. He's going to throw his glass eye around. Not his weight, just his glass eye. He was actually arrested on suspicion of battery and taken to be medically evaluated where he was asked not to take out his glass eye. He proceeded to tell them he could do whatever he want and threw it at the staff. Stay classy, Florida. Or is that stay glassy? Either way, watch out for Florida man, y'all. He only gets worse with time. Thanks for listening, guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode and learned something new or at least feel like preparing for hurricane season now. Don't forget to turn on notifications. Don't forget to turn on notifications on Instagram. I feel like the algorithm is yet again changed and I don't even see half you guys anymore. So thank you to those who still like and comment. And for those of you who check out the weekly polls and questions, thank you so much. Again, if you have a second, please leave a five-star review on Apple or Spotify. It really just helps get the podcast out there, and it keeps the podcast going. And thank you to all of you who do keep the podcast going. You guys are simply amazing. I hope everybody has a great week. Drink water. And as always, guys, that's your daily dose of sunshine.